Thanks, Barton. Good evening. It's good to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. 1 John 3, 4 through 10, as we continue on in our study of 1 John. I'll add my greetings and excitement and welcome to our new members, one of our former pastors, another former pastor, Dick Kane. I always say, do not get used to having new members join your church. Uh, it's truly a blessing for God, and so we really are thankful for y'all joining our church. Just to give us a little background of where we've been the past number of weeks, looking at 1 John, John is writing to believers and to a church who've been surrounded by a lot of persecution and false teaching. They have been told different things like that you can have saving relationship with God and still live however you want, or that once you become a Christian, you're a person who is without sin, there's no need for repentance, or that once you become a Christian, you, you no longer, in fact, commit any sin, that you are sinless and that you live a perfect life. And in First John, he is responding to these false teachings. But the very heart of this letter, John's main desire is that they would know the Lord, that they would have fellowship with God. He has a very pastoral heart here, and he's helping them know how they can be sure of their salvation. Now, when we get to chapter 3, John shifts to their identity in Christ. He calls them children of God. There's a, a very familial tone set, and he talks about how great the love the Father has for his children. So, in Christ, we are children of God. We are his family. But the question that we're going to be looking at tonight is this, is who is the family of God? Who is the family of God? So, let's look at... Uh, and read together 1 John chapter 3, 4 through 10. Hear the word of God. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come into your presence and to worship you. Now as we open up your word to study it, we ask that you would illuminate our minds to understand it. Would you soften our hearts that we might be molded by it? And would you give us your spirit in order that you would transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, we are related to a big Italian family here in Memphis. And I don't know if you've ever been around a big Italian family, but it's a lot of fun. And family is serious business. They do everything together. They vacation together. They go to sports games together. They go to church together. They go to school together. They do everything together. And every time our family gets together for Christmas or Thanksgiving, it's 
big and it's wild. Lots of people, very loud, really good food, and really fun. And one thing I've noticed, though, is everyone calls each other's cousins, aunts, or uncles, even if you aren't actually related by blood. Now, I remember taking my wife, Rachel, to the first kind of get-together with her family, and I was trying to help her know who was who, because there was a lot of people there. Who belongs to who? Who's actually related and who isn't? I would say, oh, that's my cousin Dino. Well, he actually really isn't my cousin. He's the cousin of my cousin, but we're cousins, right? And I was helping her distinguish who is actually family and who is not. And that's what John is doing in our passage here in 1 John 3, 4 through 10. He's helping us understand who is in Christ's family and who is not. Now, John is distinguishing the two families here because there's so much confusion on what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be in the family of God. They've heard a lot of false teaching. And to be honest, not much has changed. In our culture, there's a lot of confusion on who is a believer and who's not. Who is in the family of God and who's not. Just the other day, I watched a video that someone posted online. That's my first mistake, right? And and as I was watching, it was a discussion between four pastors in the same denomination. Be really careful here. Four pastors in the same denomination talking about who is a believer and who should be a member of the church. And each of the pastors had different answers. Of the four pastors in the same denomination, each pastor had a different opinion. And only one even referenced scripture. There's a lot of different opinions out there. But what our passage is doing is trying to bring clarity. Verse 10 says, there are two families and it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. What is the evidence and who are the two families? Let's look at that. What is the evidence and who are the two families? Let's first look at the first family, the, the devil and his family. Before we look at Satan with his name is, and his family, we must understand sin. Verse four, many translations have, everyone who sins breaks the law. And the next phrase it might have, sin is the transgression of the law or something similar. So some of your uh, translations might say that. These references to the law are kind of misleading sometimes in my opinion. A more accurate translation I think is this, everyone who commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. That's what the ESV kind of goes after. Let's look at lawlessness. Lawlessness, the definition of it is a state of disorder, state of disorder due to a disregard to the law. A state of disorder due to the disregard of a law. So an example of that would be, I live in the United States, but I do not care about the government or its laws. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's lawlessness. So in our context of sin and lawlessness is this. I live in God's world, in his kingdom, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disregard whatever he says and whatever his laws. So sinning in this context is the direct opposition to God and his law that he gives to us in his word. Sinning is the direct opposition to God and his law that he gives to us in his word. So that's what sin is. Next, we, now we can look at who Satan is. Verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning or practices lawlessness is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now this verse is connecting whoever practices sin or lawlessness to the devil. And here's why. When it says Satan's been sinning from the beginning, it points us back to Genesis Genesis 3. 
in the garden, which is God's temple, where he gave them the law. You can eat of wherever you want, but do not eat of this one tree. And then enters in Satan. He came to Adam and Eve and said, did God actually really say that you shouldn't eat of this tree? Satan came to Adam and he's questioning God's law. Or he said, you won't really die. That isn't really true. Creating doubt in God, opposition to God. Or he said, if you eat it, if you break that command, you actually will be like God. So don't worry. Go ahead and do what you want. You see it here? The lawlessness is here? This is exactly where lawlessness and sin started. In the garden, in God's temple, Satan is directly opposing God and his law, trying to contradict it, trying to abolish the law and bring in lawlessness to us. And Adam and Eve, when they ate of the apple, they entered into it. This is the works of the devil, as it says in verse 8. His works bring about lawlessness, disorder, and destruction. And he didn't just stop there. When they ate it, he didn't stop. He's continuing to do it today. He brings about chaos and he brings about opposition to God in his word. And we see it every day. You turn on the news tonight, you'll see it. Sin and destruction and chaos and lawlessness and opposition to the Lord. Not even turn on the news. You can just kind of evaluate your own heart and you can feel the lawlessness because we're still of the flesh and you can see it in our families. Therefore, as it says in verse 10, Adam and Eve ate of it. They opposed God's law and sin entered into mankind and we became the children of the devil. Satan is the head of lawlessness. So that's sin, Satan. Now let's look at his children. How do you know who are his children? Who are they? Our passage spends a lot of time dealing with it. There's four verses. Verse four says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, the opposition to God. Verse six says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Him is Jesus. So no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Jesus or knows him. Verse eight makes it very clear. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. In verse nine No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, this sounds very troubling, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like if you are a Christian, you will not sin. You won't won't struggle with it. But we know that John doesn't actually believe that because in 1 John 1, which we talked about like um, almost a month ago, if we say, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John's saying, even as Christians, we're going to struggle with sin. So what does this mean then? Well, there's some emphasis going on. Uh, He uses the word practice four times, and he uses the phrase continue on in sin three times. So seven times in a a very short practice, he uses practice and continue on to sin. Now, the word practice has the meaning of to do something over and over to get good at. That's, That's one definition of it. Or it can mean to do something regularly as an ordinary part of your life. That's what I, th- I think probably what we're going after here. Or it could, be, it could be your vocation. I practice law. I have a private practice. What you do, what marks your life, marks your vocation. And then he uses, so he's saying, I have pr- a children of the devil practice sin. 
But then he can uses the phrase continue on in sin, which means a repetitive, continuous action without stopping. Kind of the same idea. So children of the devil or non-Christian has a practice of sin. They continue on in sin with no hesitation. This marks their life. No repentance, no guilt, no conviction in it, no fight or care for God's righteousness. This is who the children of the devil are. And it makes sense of how they got there. So that's sin, Satan and his family. Now let's look at Jesus and who are his children. Let's first look at Jesus. In just a few short verses, our passage tells us a lot about who Jesus is and what he did. Let's look at who he is, his character. In verse 5 and 8, the word appeared is there, right? Two times. And this is what a word appear tells us is that Christ did not begin at his birth. He was already there. And at his death, he didn't end. He didn't die. He's still living today. So he appeared means that he is divine. He is God. He was there before from the very beginning and he will be there forever. He is God. Jesus is divine. It's extremely important when he goes on to what he does. So he's divine. Also in verse five, it says, in him, there is no sin. He's holy. He's without sin. Jesus didn't sin in his life on earth and he isn't able to sin. It is who he is. It's his character. He is holy. So it tells us he's divine and he's holy. In verse seven, it tells us that he's righteous, that he is just, that he does right. Jesus practices righteousness. Satan practices lawlessness and Jesus practices righteousness. He always does good. So Jesus is divine and holy and righteous. And I wish, I wish we had more time to go into who he is and who the Lord is. We've only scratched the surface of it. But one good example that scripture gives us is in Isaiah 6. Remember how Isaiah is caught up in a vision. He's in the Lord's throne room. And he sees the Lord sitting on his throne in all his majesty and holiness and righteousness. And Isaiah becomes undone. He falls down and cries, woe is me, for I'm a lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of. That's who Jesus is. So this is who Jesus is. Next, let's look at what he's done. What he did. The, the word appeared also sums up his life and his death and his resurrection. And verses 5 and 8 tells us what he accomplished. And there's two things that he accomplished. First, in verse 5, it says that he appeared to take away sins. This is what Jesus' purpose on earth was, is to take away sins. This is our justification. And George talked a lot about it this morning. If you, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. This is how he takes away our sins. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, I was going to bring a pin up here, but I've lost it. But here's a great illustration of what that means. So if this is us and we have sin, I'll use my, my ring. If we have sin because of our actions, when Jesus came down, he took away our sins. 
with this says in there, took away our sin and he paid the penalty on the cross, right? So we are able to say we're without guilt. But not only that, when we put our faith and repentance into Jesus, if this is now righteousness and this is Jesus, he comes in and gives us his holy record in his righteousness. So when he looks on us, he doesn't see our sinfulness anymore because it's been taken away, but he sees his holiness, his righteousness. Now, this is critical. Therefore, if you put your faith and repentance into Jesus Christ, he not only takes away your sins and we become holy and we have righteous record, but we are adopted into his family. It's unbelievable, right? It's amazing. He not only takes away our sins and gives us his righteousness, but he makes us his very children. This is how we are able to become his children. That's the first thing. He took away our sins. But secondly, in verse 8, it says, he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We said earlier that the works of the devil was to bring about lawlessness, right? To bring about opposition to God, to, to create chaos and disorder and to bring destruction. Jesus didn't just come to earth to teach and to heal. He did those things in order to reverse Satan's works. He wanted to reverse all that Satan's had done. He came to bring under everything under the kingdom of Christ, to create order and shalom and peace, to bring healing. And that started with first defeating Satan on the cross. Now, um, our uh, stewardship theme this year is repair what is broken, which is part of our vision statement. And repair what is broken is that we are partnering with Christ and what he's already doing in reversing Satan's work, reversing the effects of sin and lawlessness on our nation. So we partner with people in our city to reverse Satan's work and to repair what is broken. And that started with, with Jesus defeating Satan on the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. This is who Jesus is and what he's done. And it deserves all of our worship. Says Jesus. Now let's look at who his children are. What are his children like? There's three descriptions that our passage gives us. Verse six, it says, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sin has either seen him or know him. So a first description is children of God abide in Christ. They dwell in Christ. Now what this means very quickly is abide in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, to direct our wills and to transform our affections. Christ's word and law becomes the love of our life. And in turn, we know Christ in a personal and intimate way. So that's the first description of who children of God are. They, they abide in him. But secondly, in verse nine, it says that they are born again. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seeds abide in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So the seed born of God, what this is talking about is having a changed heart. 
Now, Ezekiel 36, 26 kind of explains to that to us. When, when God comes in, he says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rule. So this is what happens when God comes in there and changes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. You, you start to have new affections for the Lord and his law and his kingdom. Your heart starts to love those things. Your heart starts to get convicted over sin where once before you didn't care. But then when you start sinning, you start to get convicted. Your heart starts to prick over those things. You love, you have a love for righteousness. When I, when I first came to Christ, uh, I remember I was, came to Christ and I was kind of living out the new life. And um, I remember one of my friends saying, Brett, there's something wrong with you. And I was like, you know what? I think you're right. I was like, I, I don't want to do the same things like what we used to do. And I, sometimes I don't want to go out at night. I always want to stay in and read God's word. And the friends that I used to want to be friends with, I don't want to be friends with them anymore. I want to be friends with kind of boring people a little bit. Like, I was like, something's going on. And so I, I talked to the guy who led me to Christ. He's like, welcome to Christ. Like God's changed your heart. The Holy Spirit now resides in you and he's given you a new heart and he's changed your affections. And this is a description of what happens to the children of God. So we've been born again. And thirdly, the third description is that we have a changed heart, but we also don't practice sin. We don't continue on in it. We see that in verses 7, 9, and 10. It tells us we don't practice, that we don't continue in that we aren't able to actually. They've been saved from sin. The children of God, they have, been, have changed hearts. When they do sin, when the children of God does sin, because they will, they get convicted over their sins and they repent and turn from it. But also these verses tell us that the children of God not only don't continue in sin, but they actually pursue righteousness. There's a change. And Jesus confirms this in John 14, 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever does, if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I do. That's what Jesus said. Now, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. I, I want to relieve us of some heavy burdens that you might feel right now. Uh, this passage is, is hard to read and to not get overwhelmed by the high standard uh, of, of following Christ and our sinfulness, right? Because we still live in our fleshly bodies and we still struggle with sin. Now, now this passage is not saying to be a child of God, you need to be perfect and sinless. He, he already took the, that care of that by going to the cross and taking away our sin and giving us his record, right? So we can be relieved of that. There's no perfect Christian, even Paul, the greatest church planter and who wrote the, a lot of the New Testament said that he was the chief of sinners, so I want to share with you uh, one of the ways my seminary professors explained it to me that helped me really understand it. He said that we struggle with lines a lot of times. We, you know, we, are, we have a line where we're going away from Christ. We continue on in sin. We're practicing sin. We're kind of going this way. And a lot of times we, we think when we come to Christ where we change our direction and we're 100% in a line, running away from sin perfectly. We're pursuing righteousness. But then 
we sin, we kind of get upset and we're like, oh no, what what's happened? Now, what he said is the Christian life is more of like a circle. You know, we, we respond in faith and repentance and we kind of move it on in life and then we sin and then we repent. We get convicted of it and repent and, and respond in faith and repentance again. We're moving on in life and we sin because we're always struggling with sin. When we respond with faith and uh, repentance, we keep on following God, we sin. We respond with faith and repentance. And this kind of more of a circle, a cyclical nature. And this is what I think is not practicing sin. This is not continuing on in sin. That's fighting sin and fighting life. So that's, this, we struggle with those lines. And when we come to Christ, I think that we're supposed to live this life. It's not perfect all the time. Now, he's, that's how he explained it to our class. Tim, and Tim Keller said that all of the Christian life is repentance. And God's grace reaches farther than our sin can reach. So that's a difference in the two things. Now, having said that, I do believe that John is writing with hard language for a purpose. There was obviously some people in the church that were calling themselves believers, but had no fruit in their life, no signs of repentance, no signs of a changed heart. And John is writing with that hard language to help them be able to diagnose their own spiritual lives. Am I a believer? I am in the family of God, or I'm not. And look at my own heart and evaluate it and, and look and see where we are. And maybe tonight, this is an assurance to you, but maybe tonight this is also where you say, oh, I need, to, I need to figure things out. I need to evaluate. I need to talk to someone about it. And myself and Barton or any elder or pastor in this room would love to talk to you about it. But this might be a night that tonight you put your faith and repentance into Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your grace and love, and that you want and you call us into your family and adopt us into your family and call us your very children. Father, we thank you so much and we, we look forward to feasting with you and your supper. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.